When you think of wisdom, wisdom, what do you think of? Do you think of ancient philosophers or depths of knowledge? Do you think of those really, really big decisions where you need to make those decisions right? What college to go to, who to marry, what job to take, whether or not to move. Do you think of wisdom in terms of financial prudence, making a budget, getting out of debt? What do you think of? Do you think of relationships? Do you think of how you relate to people? This beginning of the year, we've been going through this series of some big topics for the Christian life and things where it might be a good time to evaluate where you're at, where you need some renewal in the new year. Your spiritual heart, your financial heart that Pastor Matt spoke about. This one is on your relational heart, your relationships. When it comes to that, I want to draw your attention to James chapter 3. This isn't maybe immediately obvious why this is about relationships, but I want to see what God's word has to say for us this morning, wisdom and relationships. If you will, pray with me as we begin. God, we thank you for the time to be together this morning. We thank you for the many blessings we've already noted and taken time to remember, the blessings of you bringing the fishers to be with us, the blessings of, of life and it represented in the many new babies over the past months and years. And we thank you for the relationships that all of those represent. We thank you for your word that speaks to those relationships this morning. Pray that we would have ears to hear what you say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we look at James chapter 3. The section, your section header might speak of wisdom. Uh, but I, before we get into it, um, well, actually, before we get into the sermon, we should probably read the text. How about that? Read with me James chapter 3. Verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Before we jump into the dissection of these verses, I want to share with you a presupposition that we come into this text with presupposition that relationships matter to the Christian. Uh, this is in part by the whole book of James here. James is writing to believers. He's writing to them primarily to challenge them, to, to test themselves. Are you genuine? And he uses the argument, do, do your works match your faith? He uses that several different times. 
Do you live out what you say you believe? Faith without works is dead. Then he gives several specific examples of what that might look like. And he, he challenges these believers to see how they treat one another, how their relationships are. Are they impartial or are they partial to each other? How do they speak to each other and how do they talk about each other with their tongue? Some of the very specific examples he gives to challenge believers is how do you relate to others? What are your relationships like? Relationships matter to the Christian. It goes on past this text, the next chapter here, chapter four, speaks of conflicts between people. We look at this verse, I think, uh, this text rather, chapter 13 through 18, we get a picture of wisdom playing out in people's lives in the arena of relationships. That's, That's why he's talking about wisdom. It's going to play out in your relationships and it's going to tell you how wise you are or are not. We'll get that to, to that here in just a little bit. Uh, we think of wisdom, we go to the book of Proverbs. Many, many, many of the Proverbs are about your relationships, what you say to each other, what you say about someone, how you are a neighbor, how you are a friend, the parent-child relationship. Relationships should matter to the Christian. I hope that's not a surprise to you. I hope that's not a challenge to you. To many of you, that's not a challenge. Your relationships are important to you. There's a temptation uh, for some to undervalue relationships. That's why we picked this topic to focus on, and I think that's why James is, is talking here. Now, when we're talking about relationships, I'll make a quick list of them in case you're tempted to leave out some category where this may not apply, and I may leave out a category. This is not an exhaustive list. We're talking about relationships. Whatever we're talking about here applies to your marriage, applies to your parent-child relationship. It applies to your siblings, to any of your extended family. It applies to whoever you call friends, your boss, your coworkers, your employees, your teachers, your classmates. This applies to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. This applies to your pastor or the church members that you are with or that you pastor. This applies to your neighbors. This applies to your president, your governor, your congressman, whatever relationships you may have. That's the presupposition that these should matter. James gives us a test. What should we see in our relationships? And he gives us a picture of either heavenly or earthly relationships. Heavenly or earthly wisdom that plays out in relationships. We read here in verse 14 and 15 and 16, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This first statement here is, is a, first of all, a challenge, a warning. Do you think that you are wise? Sorry, that's the, the first verse there. Who is wise and understanding among you? Do you think you are wise? 
I think on one hand, many of us would be like, no, probably not me. I'll leave that claim to the people who know more stuff, the, whoever that might be in your estimation. You may not be ready to call yourself wise. I think in a lot of ways, we probably do think of ourselves as having a, a good deal of wisdom. If, if we're living according to what we believe is best and right, we think that's best and right, right? We think we've come to that conclusion because we've thought it through. And we may not call it wisdom, but we, we generally think that probably we're doing most things pretty good. So James says, you think you're wise. He gives this warning. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast. Don't be false to that claim of having wisdom. If you think you're wise, first of all, check how that plays out in your relationships. And then he goes on, verse 15 and 16. Those things that he mentioned, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James is asking, I'll ask you too, do you see any fruit in your relationships of your lack of wisdom? Do you see any fruit here of what he calls earthly, unspiritual, or even demonic wisdom? I want to clarify that, a few things here. First of all, he says there is jealousy and selfish ambition. And then he equates that with earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. He's saying these are the the root issues. If those are in your heart, he says in verse 14, that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are in our hearts, if those are in your hearts, there will be fruit that you see in your relationships. And what is the fruit that he says there? With this, we don't get the same list that we do with good wisdom. We'll get quite a list when we get to the good wisdom side of this. On this side, it's a short list. Disorder and every vile practice. It's a long list at the same time. The fruit of wrong wisdom, selfish ambition, jealousy, is disorder and every vile practice. So do you see in your relationship any disorder? In any of your relationships, do you see any vile practice? Do you see any tension in your relationships? Is there conflict in any of your relationships? Is there misunderstanding? Is there lying and deceit? Are there relationships that you have with people where you just can't talk about something? Or do you have relationships that you avoid? James is saying that is disorder that comes from something going wrong in our hearts. Are there any vile practices? I think we can understand that to mean any sin. Not just disorder, but kind of, let's admit, we're talking about sin here. Is there hatred in any of your relationships? Is there gossip? Is there stealing? Is there impurity in any of your relationships? Is there violence in any of your relationships? 
anything on that list shows up in our relationships, we must understand that this is coming from what James calls a selfish heart, the selfish ambition in our heart. Jealousy, selfish ambition, which is earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. Selfish ambition, I want it, so I'm going to get it. I want something, and my relationships are just a means to that end. That causes conflict and tension and misunderstanding and lying and hatred. The opposite of that is what he calls bitter jealousy. I want it, and I don't have it. So that causes conflict and lying and hatred and tension in your relationships. Do you see any of that in your relationships? Are you comfortable understanding that James says, not just that it comes from jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts, but he says that is, first of all, that's earthly wisdom. Maybe that doesn't seem so bad to you. He says it's, unspiritual wisdom. If we call ourselves believers, we'd like to think we're spiritual. We're doing things that are spiritual. Then he kind of lays the smack down. He says that is demonic wisdom. Are you comfortable understanding the fruit of discord or vile practice that you see in your relationships comes from something that's going wrong in your heart that James says is demonic? How is it demonic? I don't believe he's meaning to say that you are possessed by a demon. He's saying that your heart is participating in the same same rebellion as the demons did against God. It's not sourced by demon. It's similar to a demonic rebellion. That's what's going on in our hearts, and we see it in our relationships. If that is what is happening, we must ask ourselves, not just why is that, do we see that fruit, but where is it coming from? What is the source of the wisdom that is producing these things in my heart and producing this fruit in my relationships? Where is the wisdom that you're getting that is producing this fruit? Could be a couple different answers. We're going to play that out here in a little bit. Could be a couple different answers, though. Could be, obviously, we all start with that. We all start with this wisdom innate in us that rebels against God. It's coded, hardwired into us. It's also reinforced by the world around us. As we're looking at who we listen to, who we pay attention to, what ideas and thoughts we buy into, to be careful that it is not earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom that will continue the same bad fruit in our lives and in our relationships. James's warning is for us, evaluating ourselves. Are you bringing any bad fruit into your relationship? But while we're talking about this, I want to uh, flip the script a little bit. Do you have any relationships where others are bringing bad fruit into that? Do you have any other relationships uh, where, where someone has created conflict or, or tension. If you know a person in this world who is a sinner, 
then that answer is probably yes, right? <laughs> if you have a relationship with another person on this earth, the answer is probably yes. And, and scripture does warn us about that. It warns us about bad influences. That's a lot of the wisdom of Proverbs in relationships. It warns us about bad influences. But it's not the same message that the world gives us. Right now, the world will tell you to stay away from toxic people, right? That's the, the term, toxic people. Um, James has given us kind of a, a good picture of that. I don't think toxic is necessarily a helpful designation because toxic means hands off, right? Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us to stay away from everybody that is bad. There is a, a warning to limit the influence of, of a foolish, unwise, wicked person in our life. Uh, but it's not a command that we never interact with them, that we stay away from them, that we get toxic relationships out of our life. There's a lot of nuance and a lot of complexity in understanding that. I just want to suggest the question isn't whether you should limit your exposure with people who may be a bad influence on you. The question is why? Is the question, is your answer, I'm going to limit that exposure because I really don't need that bad influence as much in my life. That's wisdom. The other side of that could be, I just don't want that right now. And I think that's a lot of the conversation about toxic relationships. I just can't handle that person right now. I don't have the energy for that relationship. A God in his wisdom gives us challenging, hard relationships. And if our reason for pulling back from those is, I just don't want that right now, that comes from the same selfish ambition that may be causing that to be a bad relationship in the first place. There is bad fruit that we see. Maybe you see that in your life. Let's look at the other side of the test. Do you see any fruit of the wisdom from above? James chapter 3 verse 17 says, but, contrarily, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. He gives us quite a list of what real wisdom from above should look like. And it is mainly a list of relationships, characteristics of good relationships. There's a list here, and as preachers are wont to do, we want to say more than just what the list says. I'm going to go through, uh, you, you could just read the list and get enough information on your own, but let's expand on these a little bit. Uh, I encourage you to write these down now. This is the test. Uh, but it also serves us later on, not just to know how we're doing, but also what to pursue. Wisdom is, first of all, pure. And I think this, this could be speaking to holiness in general, that someone who is wise is going to be holy, but I think it also speaks to the nature of the wisdom that we say we possess. Is it pure wisdom? It's not tainted by other things that call themselves wisdom. And I was kind of referring to that a little bit, that if we're having bad fruit in our lives, that's coming from bad wisdom. On the contrary side, to have good fruit, we have to have good, pure wisdom. But there is a lot of wisdom these days 
that sounds really good. It even says some things that are good. And it may fit right up next to what you hope for and want in life. But it may not be pure wisdom from above. So having wisdom means you know how to discern what is true, pure wisdom. Right now there is a great search for what is true. I'm not sure that that always means there's a great search for wisdom. There is a great search for what is true right now. What is true about the pandemic and masks and vaccines? What is true about race relationships in the United States and police brutality and statistics of arrests and everything like that? There is a great search for what is true about votes in states around the country and what happened and didn't happen and when it happened at the Capitol. And there's a great temptation that we find and listen to people who agree with us. That you'll find and seek out an article or a podcast or even a preacher or a sermon that agrees with your political viewpoint or your conclusion about cultural dynamics with race or agrees with your conclusion about masks or vaccines. There's something wrong if our measure of wisdom stands outside of Scripture and judges Scripture. It should be reversed. If we are wise, we must be able to discern what is true, pure, heavenly wisdom. We also should be able to discern how that plays out in relationships. When we're listening for wisdom, wisdom, if it affects how we live, and it should affect how the person we're listening to lives as well. If we're listening for wisdom and we're hearing what we think is true and right and good, but it's coming from someone who lives in a way that is not wise, it is not described here in James, we should question whether that is wisdom. So wisdom must be pure. Wisdom must be peaceable. Someone who is wise has relationships of peace. doesn't mean there's never conflict. The fact that James is writing to believers and talking to them about conflict means he understands Christians have conflict. It's not that a wise person never has conflict, that there's never different ideas, but that a wise person approaches those things with peace. And seeks out a peaceable resolution. Significant. This is of major importance to James. He circles back on it in verse 18. Not just mentioning it once in the list. But then back in verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace matters to a person who is wise. And then he goes on to explain why don't we have peace in chapter 4. Wisdom must be peaceable. Wisdom must be gentle. I'm sorry, I'm not ready for that slide yet. Wisdom must be gentle. I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. These descriptions of wisdom are going to show us not just what generic wisdom looks like, but specifically what Jesus is like. Jesus, we read this verse together. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Someone who is wise will be gentle in their relationships. Even when there is conflict, even when there is disagreement, there will be a gentleness there. 
someone who is wise will be open to reason. Those may seem contradictory. If you're wise, you probably know everything, right? And so then you don't need to be open to reason because you've already got it figured out. No. A wise person is open to reason. There is a humility that goes with that. I may not fully understand this situation. I may be wrong about something. And I'm willing to reason with you about that. There are a couple different ways this should look in our relationships. When someone's actions don't make sense to us. And when there's an issue of what our convictions are. When someone's actions don't make sense to us. When what they have done or what they've decided to do don't make sense to us. Someone who is wise, who is open to reason, doesn't come to that person with conclusions but with questions. There's a difference between saying that doesn't make sense and saying, I don't understand that. If you come saying what you did or what you decided doesn't make sense, you've already concluded that they're wrong and you're not open to their reason. But if you say, I don't understand, there's a humility in coming and asking to for more information to understand. When it comes to convictions, we as Bible-believing Christians should know what we believe and we should stand on that. But we should also understand our weakness, our frailty, and that there may be things that we have misunderstood. We should stand on our convictions but also be teachable. Now, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we should model. That may be something that you have that happens in your relationships. Maybe you have a relationship that is fraught over a doctrinal issue, whether it's doctrines of election or baptism or things like that. But those things don't normally affect our relationships. We normally kind of stand for those in abstract. There's... uh, what we've seen a lot more happens when we are standing for what we're convicted about in everyday life. And that has really heated up in the last couple of years. I've already mentioned the big three things that have been happening in our life. The pandemic, the race relationships, and, and the election. And what you believe about those and what you stand for in those may have more to do in your relationships right now than some other things. But there's a difference between standing on those convictions and standing on what is from God's revealed word. There's a difference between standing for what God says about gender identity and homosexuality because it's God's revealed word than whether or not you can believe the claims of vote tallies in this state or not. If we elevate some of those things to the level of conviction alongside God's word, that's not what God calls wisdom. That's not the pure wisdom that should bring about these good things in our relationships. The opposite is true. Elevating those things to the level of God's wisdom will bring about more disorder and vile practice. The list goes on. should be full of mercy and good fruit. Why do you need mercy in a relationship? Because you're in a relationship with another sinner. It should be mercy. that You do not hold their sin over them. You don't leave them on their own. 
struggles or to their, their own burdens. I had a really good example of this just a few days ago. I was driving the church van, and there are a couple people that showed great mercy to me. They were riding along in the church van at night while I was trying to back the church van up with a trailer. What became at least an eight-point turn, and they could have ridiculed me much more than they did. They showed great mercy to me. They did not, they, they helped me. They tried to, they made it, they made it better for me and, and not worse. They showed mercy. Well, this goes on as someone who is wise as impartial. This goes back to chapter two. He, he specifically draws out an example in the church that he's writing to about how they treat people that walk into their church membership, their church community. Someone who is wise in their relationships does not treat people differently based on what they look like, what money they make, what ethnicity they are, what political stripe they are. A wise person is impartial. And lastly, a wise person is sincere. We are not pursuing wisdom to look wise. We're doing it because we genuinely love relationships and love the people in those relationships and we want to show this fruit to them. We're not doing it to put on a front. That is the test. Do you see fruit in your life of bad wisdom? Do you see any fruit in your life that is listed here that is called wisdom from above? Hopefully you're looking at yourself and you're seeing evidences Maybe you aren't sure what to do with that yet. What does that mean? Yes or no? What does that mean? Let me offer a clarification first. Clarification, what is and is not a dichotomy when we're talking about this? What is and is not a dichotomy? James is saying that there is a clear distinction. There is a dichotomy between good fruit and bad fruit. Between good wisdom and bad wisdom. Between Heavenly wisdom and demonic wisdom. There's a clear dichotomy. They are not the same thing. That's not a spectrum. There's not a scale there where you may not be really wise, but maybe you're a little bit wise. No, he's saying either you have this fruit or you don't. And if you don't, you have the bad fruit. There's a clear dichotomy. And if you're looking at your relationships, if you've Listen to James's test here, and you're looking at your relationships, and all you see is bad fruit. You don't see any good fruit. That's why James is writing. He's saying, you're probably not a Christian. He's not saying that to be mean. He's saying that so you know what your problem is and what to do about it. If you're having problems in your relationships and there's nothing good coming out of your relationships, you're in the same boat as every other person in the world, and there is an answer for that. Some of you, many of you, I hope, have understood that, whether it's with your relationships or other sin in other areas of your lives, and you have believed God's word about how that needs to be fixed. We'll get to more of that in a minute. What is not a dichotomy here, though, is the desires of the heart. Maybe you are looking at your relationships and you're seeing 
fruit of both trees. Maybe you're seeing relationships where there is bad fruit. But maybe by God's grace you see some relationships where there is good fruit. What does that mean? What does that mean about what's going on in your heart? And unfortunately, our hearts can be divided and and mixed with things uh, that come from both wisdom from above and earthly wisdom, the desires that go along with those. If that's you, that's a good sign. But to make sense of all this, to draw it all together, and to give ourselves some conclusions and then a direction to go, we need to end up talking about Jesus. Jesus is the model of wisdom. He is the wisdom from above. We're talking about Jesus. I'm sorry, when we're talking about wisdom, we're not talking about high philosophy or a higher plane of knowledge that if you think and read and study and meditate long enough, eventually you'll be able to think the thoughts that are way up there in the wisdom that is from above. This is not like Jedi Master Yoda level, only after so many hundreds of years you can finally get there. Talking about wisdom from above, we're talking about Jesus. Colossians 2 speaks of Jesus. It says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is not just this abstract idea. It's in the person of Jesus. It's clarified a little bit more in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Christ is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. Wisdom isn't just found in him. He is the wisdom of God. And it goes on in verse 30 to say, Christ Jesus became to us the wisdom of God. Wisdom from above came to us. We don't have to work ourselves up to get up to the wisdom that is from above. Christ brings wisdom down to us. And he did that, first of all, in coming to earth, displaying what wisdom looks like in relationships. When he was relating to people against him and for him, specifically against him, speaking to the Pharisees, he said, something greater than Solomon is here. All the wisdom in Solomon Something greater is here now in the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived that out. He spoke of it. A lot of, these, a lot of the items in this list that James points out about what wisdom looks like is a mirror image almost of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who seek after righteousness. He is paralleling those to, to some degree because that's what Jesus said. He said, wisdom looks like this, how you relate to people, and he lived that out. But it's more than just saying Jesus is the model of wisdom for us because it's one thing if we said, Jesus is wisdom. Look at him. Imitate him. See, our problem isn't necessarily that because just knowing what wisdom is what good wisdom is and good fruit is, and knowing what bad wisdom is and bad fruit is, doesn't change us. Just knowing those things does not change us. Romans 3 tells us that there is no one who understands. No one has wisdom. No one seeks after God. 
Ephesians 4 describes it as those who are darkened in their understanding. He's talking about us before Christ. Any of us before Christ comes, we are darkened in our understanding. There is no wisdom there. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, even when we are darkened in our understanding, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. If you have tasted of the grace of God through faith, that you have faith that Jesus has died for your bad fruit, your bad wisdom, for the demonic wisdom that leads you in rebellion against God and ruins your relationships. If you believe that Jesus died for that, if your faith is in that, the grace of God awakens you. He makes you alive. He makes you have wisdom. He is not just the model. He makes wisdom possible. He is the wisdom that comes down from above and gets down into the roots of our heart and puts wisdom there where it was not before. And allows us to have good fruit that we could never produce on our own in our relationships. Ephesians 1 tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He forgives us. He gives us grace. He lavishes on us and he gives us wisdom. Of course, there's remaining sin. We still live in our physical bodies. There's still our heart that loves things that should not love. We still live in the world. And so we still do produce bad fruit. But it's a different solution. We can root that bad fruit out. We can replace those desires, the jealousy, the selfish ambition that produce that in our relationships. Because we can now love something better than that. We can now have the wisdom that leads to good relationships. Before we close here, I want to try to tie this all together. Maybe you've been wondering the whole time. When you say wisdom, what do you exactly mean? I'll put it this way. Wisdom is faith in Jesus, first of all, that saves you and makes you able to live like Jesus. It's not just what you know. It's what you believe about Jesus that actually changes the way you live. And it's wisdom that actually makes you able to live the way that you believe you should live. And it's exactly it's exemplified and it's made possible by Jesus himself. So again, we made that list of how to test yourself. Do you look like this? Do your relationships look like that? You probably tested yourself and thought, they don't exactly look like that. But if you know that Jesus can give you wisdom, you can pursue those things. James ends this here with uh, the, the call to sow and reap a harvest. To pursue wisdom in our relationships and reap the good fruit. He says specifically, a harvest of righteousness sown in peace. And James reminds us all the way back in James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you lack wisdom, if you have any bad fruits on your tree in your relationships, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Let's ask God for wisdom right now. God, we thank you for the person of Jesus Christ who shows us what wisdom is like and can enable us to live with wisdom in our relationships. God, where relationships are broken by our selfish ambition and our jealousy, 
how we pray that you would be at work in us, that you would root out those things from our heart and replace them with wisdom from above so that we can see peace and gentleness and openness to reason and forgiveness and mercy in our relationships. God, let that be said of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.